This program is paid for by itswhereiam.com. The content of this program does not reflect the values or opinions of 91.5 KUNV or the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Good morning, Las Vegas. It's Zandra Pollard with It's Where I Am. Today, we're going to play our Women Empowerment 2022 Conference. This is part one with filmmaker Ogechi Musa and television producer Louisa Eiler. If you miss any part of this, you can always catch it on my website, www.itswhereiam.com. It's where I am. I'm Zandra Pollard, and I'll be hosting today's Women Empowerment 2022. We have some very special guests here today. We have Ogechi Musa. She is a film director, writer, and she will be presenting her short film, Mateo and Clip. We also have Louisa Eiler. Louisa Eiler is a professor, television producer. Uh, she wears many hats, uh, and I thank her for being here. She'll share with us some of the things she's doing in film and television. And uh, so we're gonna start with Ogechi. So this Women Empowerment Conference is super important because we are you know, working through this pandemic, right? And we're realizing that we're having serious issues with mental health. We're at a point, we're at a point where we're understanding that we need more help than we thought we ever thought we did, right? So you did your film back in 2017. You did one called Friction, is that correct, the year? Yes. So you did a film called Friction, which was a sci-fi film and it won some awards. But this one in particular, Mateo and Cliff, I wanted to showcase today because Ogechi has won, uh, has won awards for it as well, but it deals with something that's very close and personal to me, which is mental health. So can you give us a synopsis of your film? Oh yeah, definitely. It's um, a short film that features a black houseless man based in LA. And um, basically he's going through mental health issues while he's trying to fit in kind of a senseless society. So we kind of see his story, um, how he got there, and this kind of, there's a twist at the end that you'll see momentarily. And it really is just a reflection of what's going on. Um, I always really believe that as an artist and as a filmmaker, uh, Nina Simone said that it's a artist's duty to reflect the times. So most of my work, which I call conscious storytelling, does just that. So living in, based in LA, living in LA for the past five years, um, it was definitely a marginalized voice that I wanted to uplift just to kind of bring awareness to the issue as well as try to find some change in potential solutions to a sustainable communities um, for people who are unhoused. Thank you. So we will start with the presentation of Mateo and Cliff. 
Thank you. And Ogenshi, what inspired you to do this film? And how did you manage writing, directing, editing? You did all of this. This was your passion project. Wow. That's a great question. Um, I think that we can ask that question for a lot of things that we see, right? And I think highlighting such an important life on a group that never that gets ignored is just a reflection of us in general as humans. I'm sure that we've all felt that at some point, not having a voice or not being seen. So in a way, this community is like the heightened example of that because it's like abandonment. There has been issues with just like being pushed out of the, the light of being human. Homeless is less than human. So in a way, it's a matter of being able to take care of yourself by seeing yourself in others. So with conscious storytelling, it's all about really evoking empathy. So what I want to do as a filmmaker is make you kind of realize it could be you because we are all the same, right? And I think so, most Americans are one paycheck away from right. being on the street anyway. Right? right, right. But basically this project, I mean, it started with, like I said, I like to reflect the times in my work and I lived in Hollywood. It's like West Hollywood, Hollywood borderline. And um, I would really, I'm always kind of getting to my community. So I lived within that community basically. And I would care for and um, just donate food and hear their stories. So I started to just listen and have conversations. So I think that's the most important thing is really just listening to each other. And I think that's what we have kind of forgotten to do is just listen, you know, and just pay attention. So I started doing just that, just listening and paying attention. Um, and the project was kind of birthed out of a couple of different ideas. It really just came together. Um, but I think one very important thing is that it, there were so many times that it was not supposed to be made. There's so many moments where production almost stopped that it didn't start. Um, people dropped, actors dropped. So there was a lot of um, restrictions with this one. This was the hardest one yet, because this is my second film, but I also have a documentary in post-production. Okay. And this film um, caused a lot of um, just problems. But I, I had to finish it. I, I felt like I was called to tell the story. I felt like as like I had to. There was no option. And if you don't know, Ogenji has been on the show It's Where I Am. You can find it at it's where I am dot com. It's where I am dot com. Now I'd like to uh, get with Miss Louisa Eiler, who has previously been on the last two shows of mine. Um, she is a transformation expert um, and she's also a professor she wears many hats and she's also in television and so I wanted this first segment to start with what women are doing in film and television to make a difference with mental health we always see the negative you know portrayed in movies and film but there's women out there that are doing positive things and making conversation more normal around mental health. So Louisa, thank you for being here. You're welcome. So uh, yeah, my name is Louisa. I um, originally from the East Coast. I'm one of eight kids. My parents were 10th grade dropouts. And when I went out to, into the world, my parents forbade me through with college. They wanted me to start working, and they would not even sign the forms for my partial scholarship to Stanford. So that being said, I set out to find my own way in the world. 
And uh, eventually, along that journey, um, I was a victim of many life circumstances. I was, I was raped, I was uh, beaten by the father of my son, uh, lived in a shelter for a while, and I was bankrupt, then I was homeless for a while, and eventually, as I kind of worked it all out, I kind of built myself up from the ashes, and um, at first I thought I wanted to be a doctor, and so I was putting myself through school, nobody was paying for it, and then after the domestic violence incident, I ended up in a, a battered women shelter with my two-month-old son, and it changed my life forever, because in that time, I learned that you know, sometimes women didn't have a quarter to make a call, and in that same shelter, there were women who were the wives of the partners of very sophisticated elite members of society, and in that room, it didn't matter if you were rich or poor or white or black, there were women who needed women, and so, from that moment forward, women's empowerment kind of took on a new shape. But when I got out of that shelter, I called one of my professors from undergrad and I said, I need to be a social worker because the woman who changed my life was a social worker. And I wanted to figure out how to help other women in that capacity. So I went to grad school, got a great job as a graduate assistant because of the help of my professor at the Office for Sexual Health Awareness and Rape Education. And through that job, I sort of healed my own life by healing others and learning the right processes and having expert mentors teaching me what it's like to respond as a, as a helper to a victim and becoming a victim's advocate and through sharing the pain of other women and having talk to talk and walk and walk and been that, learned how to really conceptualize that and be a different kind of therapist. You know, sometimes people want a therapist that's gonna listen to your problems and let you cry on their shoulder for as many sessions as you're willing to pay the money, but I'm very action-oriented and if someone wants to come and talk about their problems for the next five years, I'm happy to connect them to any of my colleagues who will just allow that. I'm very much that you don't get satisfaction in your life until you create some actionable steps to get there because you can stay in the quicksand or you can learn to swim. And so that may sound also like all in, you know, like once you learn how to swim, you know that you can go in deep water and you know when it's time to get out and you know when you need a life jacket. So I've sort of come to live my life that way, living on the edge a little bit, but knowing when it's time to, you know, go to shore and get anchored. And so along the way, um, just always seized every opportunity. And the person you see sitting in front of me today wasn't always this person all put together. For most of my adult life, I was 300 pounds. Um, and about five years ago, I said, you know, that's it. It's time to put me first. And so I set out on this embarkation of self-transformation, saying that I needed to put my money where my mouth was. And how could I sit in that chair and be a therapist to others when I hadn't put myself first and I hadn't taken my own advice? And so when COVID hit, um, a lot of my celebrity clients, you know, were calling and saying, hey, Louise, I'm really anxious, you know, uh, you know, can you help me? Can we do some live Instagram feeds? And, and it's funny, the picture there that's on the screen, when I was on that Steve Harvey show, that was in 2017, I've been on many times, and the last episode that I was on, I looked at myself and I said, I'm as big as Steve Harvey. Two days later, I discovered myself for a gastric sleeve. I had done the pre-work, but I was afraid to get under the knife. I had taken the courses for years. I kept saying, I'm gonna do it this time, I'm gonna do it this time. Anyway, I did it, moved forward, and you know, my life started to change in remarkable ways. I think the next picture shows, you know, that was me for most of my life, you know? And then the next picture shows, um, me getting to be half my size, and you know, that, that span of time there is only about 15 months, and so being able to share that with women. And then one of the things that I like to do is the next slide is I tell people, you've gotta pick a pace car. And although when I was you know, 300 pounds, looking like Joe in the corner didn't seem like such of a, a possibility, but lo and behold, like over the years, slowly but surely, if you take little tiny actionable steps, you can change your life, and all that's without any exercise. The only thing I did during that weight loss time this time was walk. And I just learned what I eat differently in my mouth. But I feel like I had this special calling because when COVID started, and some of my um, people who had lots of followers wanted to, you know, share live streams of me coaching them through this anxious period or sharing their pain with others, 
it led different people to contact me. And at the first part of COVID, I created a nine episode weekly um, mini series called Words of Wisdom with uh, Tamara Simmons, the executive producer, surviving that hell in time, and also a human slave trafficking expert. And we interviewed, I interviewed five different people each week for nine weeks. So I interviewed a total of 54 guests uh, from Dr. Ish to Judge Toller uh, to. Uh, uh, gosh, Nando uh, Frazier, uh, Kara Bernards, uh, Candace Rice, lots of people came on to talk about mental health. And I had to really focus on the African American community because I was seeing my son as biracial and how, as a young adult, he was suffering when I taught at that time in inner city colleges. And I was seeing how my students were suffering. And I wanted to be able to give messages that everyone could take something from. And that led me to then, in the second half of COVID, Dr. Ish from Marriage Root Camp, now he's on the band panel with Nick Cannon, and Judge Lynn from Divorce Court, and another therapist, Alyssa, who's kind of a Zen healer, we created another uh, nine-week series on Facebook Watch called Life, Love, and Lessons. Now we're hoping to take that to TV pretty soon, but it simulates eight weeks of therapy. So if you started episode one, it's actually a model. And we'll, we're talking on Zoom, um, but in a virtual panel, and there's episodes available at redlevelessons.com. And if you watch those nine episodes, it's really like you find eight sessions of therapy. And so it's designed to be talk therapy made for TV. Because I think too many times people, you know, they, they only say what they think is going to get likes, or they say things that um, they think people are going to you know, react to in a way. And I think that at the end of the day, you've got to get comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And you have to be able to reach people where they are. And a lot of people won't even feel um, unscripted interviews and a lot of people, you know, someone needs to want to say, but I think when you come from a place that's authentic, you know, and when I, when I now see the women that I've worked with or students that I've had over the years, you know, and they're so proud of the jobs and they're so proud of themselves and the things that they've overcome, it's just a miraculous testimony. You know, probably all the jobs that I've had teaching GED classes to underprivileged and underserved community change because you decided to pause and, and share yourself. So. Therapy is a wonderful thing. I know today we were getting our hair done, we were getting our makeup done, right? We were putting on that shield of armor, like you said earlier. We wanted to look good. But then what's going on inside, right? That's a part of self-care that we're not focusing on. And so again, this, what I do, is about normalizing the conversation and understanding that it's okay to get therapy. You know, sometimes we have anxiety. I would have never said that three years ago, never. I didn't really understand what it was, but when I understood what anxiety is, and I was feeling it, it was like, okay, something's going on, let me take care of it, right? So, I just wanted to say that, thank you again. So, does anyone in the audience have any questions for the panel? And if you have a question about sex trafficking or human trafficking, you can present those questions as, as well and uh, Louisa will be able to answer those. How do you combat imposter syndrome? Mm -hmm. Every room I walk into, everything I sign up for, every time I get an email telling me thank you for my work, I read it and I go, they don't know. They don't know that I'm not supposed to be here. They don't know that I didn't uh, get that superpower from someone. They don't know that that's not real. How do you combat it? What steps do you take? 
That's a great question. Yeah, because I don't even know what it means. Imposter syndrome, what is that? <laughs> so it's basically when, uh, when you feel as if you don't belong in an environment or a setting just based off of just, you know, in this case, um, like I said, with being a black woman filmmaker, you sometimes feel as if, um, you know, you're not supposed to be there. It's a weird, like, psychological effect that is just imposed on society based off of who was allowed in what room, you know? And as women, we, we encounter that all the time. So uh, many people, different people who are oppressed or marginalized will feel this, um, that they don't belong. And there's always that that doubt. It's really doubt that really just takes control. Um, and one thing that I have definitely worked on therapy, absolutely, you know, doubt, anxiety, have battled with both of those um, low moments. You know, I, I definitely have to work through that. And finding it within, and it seems so like simple to say, um, but I really, I've had to just know my own inner power, you know, and just find that confidence because that's it. You are your only support. You know, that's at the end of the day, it has to be coming from you. Because if it's not coming from you, they're not gonna believe it. You know what I mean? You're gonna be walking around, you know, that's that's how I feel. Like, I mean, you know. clinically, imposter syndrome happens because it's like the back of your head. So it's rooted in internal battle between your self-esteem and your self-confidence, which defines a lot of things. So some of the ways to combat that in the real world is that, you know, everything that you do that becomes sociable proof, social proof and tangible assets. By tangible assets, I mean having a killer resume. By, you know, really amplifying the things that you've done and not being ashamed to have things out there. Having a decent looking Instagram page helps with imposter syndrome. Having a website to back up her film. Because imagine if she just came here, she says, I have this great idea for a film about a homeless man. You know, having a great idea is one thing, but when you've taken the steps to actually make it real, every step you take to concretize something that you've got thought up in your head gives birth to a stronger version of who you are. And so at every pass along the way, and I think sometimes we become impregnated with our own ideas. And I tell people, if you've got an idea, birth it in nine months or let it go. Because otherwise those things hold you back the rest of your life. When you've got an idea, you have this little girl that's carried and you might need to dig it, go to that. Or you need to birth it. Thank you, thank you. So we'll take one last question for these ladies, one each, and then um, I want to bring on our second panel of experts, okay? So one more for Ogechi and one more for Luisa. Yes, ma'am. I'm not sure exactly how to ask this, but are there any resources for parents who suspect another parent who's grooming and being for trafficking their child? Oh, wow. Well, the first thing you want to do is protect yourself as a witness to something like that because sometimes there are vicious cycles of brains and people that, you know, ultimately have misintentions, period. So, one, you can start to document some of the things that you might be seeing. And then you can contact your local authorities to kind of produce an anonymous tip. A lot of it's going to depend on the age of the children, how they respond. Because if the children are under age 17, there's some characteristic. that's under age 14, it's different sets of characteristics. And then it's also what role that person plays in that person's life. Are they identified as a primary caretaker? What are their spheres of influence on the child? And also the human trafficking hotline.org, certain steps that show you which agencies are responsible for each one, because depending on the age of that person, it's going to be criteria for child abuse, and that's going to involve a quicker response sometimes. Um, but the most important thing is remove your subjectivity to I think this is happening, start just documenting down the things that you say so that when you get that opportunity to present that to the correct authorities, that it's not you being swept up in your emotions on the horrific nature of it all, that it's you're able to say these are facts. 
figure it out and tell me what's happening. Because when you present facts to authorities, they have to respond with evidentiary or not sustaining their claim. So facts over feelings all the time. And that's why I uh, invited our Attorney General Ford here today. He did not make it. Um, I wanted him to answer some of these questions because he is on our website, right? When we look up human trafficking, crisis, how to get help, his name comes up, okay? So he wasn't able to make it. I know you wanted to be here, but this is something that I'm unable to answer for you. And this is something that Shatana, I'm sure she can tell us when she looks it up, but Shatana lives in Houston. Now she works on the federal level, so I'm sure she has some information. But when I talked with her about it, it was like, yeah, what are we doing in Las Vegas? Find out what is happening here in Vegas, because although we're not at the top, we're up there, okay? So uh, if there's one last question for Okay, I'll take it now. Well, um, I just want to thank both of you for being here. I learned so much from both of you. Um, I think uh, what I got, what I heard overall is that there was a moment that each of you were able to have the spark and move to through a difficult decision and you create this wonderful film and you make tremendous changes in your life. And I was inspired by that. Um, maybe one question I would have is I really enjoyed the layers in your film and your storytelling. Um, I'd like to find out how long did it take you to develop that script? Was there, did you get a lot of um, difficulty in trying to create those different layers or did it just happen in post? I mean, I just really enjoyed the level of storytelling that you had to share. Thank you. Yeah, and, it, and, and, and watching it really, you know, really touches my heart. I feel it. Um, I just have to say real quick, she took the microphone because this is my sister. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, so, like I said, my environment always affects my screenwriting. Um, there was a few story by credits as well, so I worked with other people as well um, in the beginning stages. That definitely, I wrote, I'm the sole writer of it, so when I sit down and write, I honestly don't know what happens. I think I, I'm a vessel, that's straight up. Like, that line with Mateo, like, the world is mine. I don't know where it comes from, it's kind of odd. Like, that is just coming, it's just coming. You know, universe, God, what you want to call it, like, I'm a vessel. Because sometimes I'm writing from like, oh, where did that came from? My whole page. Wait, so you don't want to, like, overthink it, so, like, yeah. free writing, you just, yeah, just write writing. whatever's coming into mind and then going back and looking at editing. Yeah, okay. yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. And then the dialogue, it just comes, I remember a lot of conversations, I've met a lot of people. Um, and have a photographic memory as well. So sometimes I'm really just like, it's just, it's coming in that way. Because I remember, I remember what people say, I remember how people are. Um, I love building characters because I've met so many people in my life. I love to travel too. So I think it really just naturally all comes. And I always love to show multiple perspectives of the same scene, you know, of the same thing. Um, like that movie Crash or Babel, like those, 
those are heavy influences just because I love showing all these perspectives so you can see all these different points. So you can empathize with why someone will do this or why someone is like that. Just because it's like you won't get to do that because you're living your life. So when you're watching it, I want you to live someone else's life. Just to see through their eyes and to walk their path because that's how you can empathize. So I always try to do that. I'm always just like, let me go that character, that character, and have them be similar in that way. So you can make that connection of both these two opposite characters still being the same is huge for me. Because then you can see that it's just a human in us. You know, I'm you and you and me. So that's that's really what I try to do when I'm writing. But everything else is just coming through. And like I said, there's a couple other story by credits. Um, but sitting down and writing it as a sole writer, that was huge for me. And um, just getting, just producing the script as well was just, it just, it had to be made. You know, it was one of those, like, look at just, look at this, like, this needs to be done, so. Yeah, so it's kind of a natural process, but in the beginning stages, a lot of different influences, and then just writing down, just sitting and writing. It took me about a month. It was weird because I, I turn to my art when I'm going through something, so I was going through some traumatic, like, anxiety from my corporate job. So I was like, I remember writing, and I was like, I have not stopped for 11 hours. And it was kind of scary, because I was just like, hey guys, I'm done, and they're like, what? So it was, it, but it was my, my therapy, and I went, you know, it's how I, I was mad at someone, like, you don't even know what I'm going through, I'm the one on my own stage, so it was, it was kind of channeling that too. Yeah, that's a sport too. Yeah, and I just have to applaud what she just said, that's like, I give her like all the applause for that, because what she did was produce the script of someone else's life, and she talks about how every time she wrote it out, she looked at it differently, could add another layer editing. You all have that potential with your own life, and the world is your stage, and you are the actor. And when you start journaling, and you write out the things that you've seen and witnessed in your own life, if you don't like it, read it again, and write a new script for yourself, so the next time you're presented with the same situation, you can change one word and change your life. Uh, if you can let everyone know what your social media handles are again so that they can find you. Yep. Get at me, uh, G-E-C-H-A-T-M-E, and then ogechimusa.com, everything else is from there. Uh, I have a production company called M5 Productions, so everything should be found on ogechimusa.com. Um, you can just find me at, at Louisa Eiler on Instagram or LouisaEiler.com. Other things are coming soon. But uh, I'm starting some women's empowerment weekly Wednesday classes, Power Wow. So, women of the world. So. Love it, love it. And you guys know me, Zandra Bullard. It's where I am. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. You know, this conference was amazing. There was so much support for this conference. We had donations from all over the United States. And I just want to thank you for your contribution in helping to make this conference the best. We also had one traveler who came all the way from Maine just to attend. Wow, if that's not empowerment, I don't know what is. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, everyone who was a part of making Women Empowerment 22 such a success.